Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Hello and welcome to Footballistically Arsenal. Uh, welcome to the only Arsenal podcast which insists on predicting the score of every single Arsenal game at the end of the podcast, um, no matter what, unless there are other Arsenal podcasts to do the same thing. I wouldn't know. I don't listen to them. Uh, I'm Boyd Hilton. I'm joined by the one and only Josh Landy. Welcome, Josh. Thank you, Boyd. I think, talking of predictions, that I might have got it spot on. For the game away at Anfield. Oh, did you? Mm. Oh, I think, okay. Well, I, I, I predicted we'd lose, but I, don't, I can't remember what score I said. Um, the game, obviously, against Liverpool last night, we're recording this Tuesday, the day after the, the, the night before. And um, for the first time this season, staunch podcast favourite. And I'm particularly pleased that for his first um, appearance of the season on the podcast, we're talking about our first defeat of the season, in which Pepe took two terrible corners, in which Lacazette missed the glorious chance to even the score, and in which Hector Bellerin took two foul throws, thus proving Alan Alger's long-standing theory that Hector Bellerin is terrible at throw-ins. Please welcome the one, the only, Alan Alger. Boy, what an introduction. I think you've covered yeah. it all there. Um, yeah, it's a bugbear of mine and uh, something I was highlighting a long, long time ago and um, where it comes yeah. to bite us last night because two decent positions where we could have kept the press up and um, we've ended up giving away the ball. And it, it, it sounds simple and a couple of people were, were almost critical that uh, – I'd said something about a throw, which isn't really considered an important part of the game. But if you've got Liverpool pressed in their own half and you're about to take a quick throw and you take it badly, 
you're you're giving away possession and something as simple as getting that right just obviously isn't there and and he doesn't care <laughs> the way he spoke to the to the the linesman and the ref after the the second one saying I've done this all my life because actually I went back and watched it again and I realized that that's what he said because I, I didn't have the crowd sound on and he just looked and said I've done this yeah. all my life and I'm thinking yes I know you have <laughs> utterly well, just explain just explain what did he do wrong what is what is the the, the what is the problem with the, with his throws what he does is um well earlier on about two two three seasons ago he was stepping over the line, which you're not allowed to do. But most linesmen in the in the, the Premier League sort of turned a blind eye to it if you haven't gained a massive advantage from doing so. But where my seat is at the Emirates, I can sort of pretty much look down on the line. And, and, and a few times he's done that. The two last night, it's because he had he had his hands behind his head, which is your starting position. But you're meant to let it go before the ball goes past your head and not drop it down at someone's feet. And he did that twice last night. So he's, he's not throwing the ball. He's effectively just dropping it down a, a, a diagonal. To, and again, people will say, does that really matter? And, and in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really change the state of play. It's just that that is the rule. So if you're looking at marginal gains and, 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 and tiny bits of matches, you might as well get it right, because sometimes you're going to get called out on it. And to get called out on it twice when we got Liverpool penned into their own um, into their own penalty area, a game like that, which is so so difficult, you know, it's it's, it's effectively our most difficult away game that you can have in the Premier League, barring a few people disagreeing and saying that it's City. But let's just say it's definitely one of our two hardest away games that we can oh, have. It's definitely the hardest. It's definitely yeah. the hardest. Fuck yeah. City. <laughs> so, so you need. Not only do you need everything to go right, you need to seize on every single error that you can make yourself. So, so no unforced errors, which obviously we've done with the, with the corners and the throws, because that's not under pressure. That's that's just a, an unforced error. Um, you need a huge amount of luck, and you need a half-decent refereeing uh, performance. And obviously two of those are not really in our in our remit, you know, they can go either way. So you've definitely got to get the one right that you can influence. And that's, that's the, the marginal gains one and no un, 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 unforced errors. Um, the other two bits yeah. didn't go our way. And I, and, and I actually think obviously we were a bit unlucky because um, I, I definitely think Mane should have been sent off, but uh, mm. everything we'll talk, else yeah. you do yourself. And, yeah. and uh, yeah. it's painful we'll talk for about, the professionals to, to yeah. get that wrong. We'll talk about the the Mane um, sending off or not in a sec. Before we 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 continue though, um, Josh, talking about the game, I have to remind you that we are we've got a sponsorship from Beer Fifty Two going on at the moment. Josh, have they sent you your case of beer yet? I did get my case ah. of beer and a nice variety, a couple of bottles, some cans. Um, I must say, I've only had one of the uh, case, which I, I didn't know how. Do you know how many in a case? I thought it was six they sent, but it was actually 12. I, I think I might have oh, 12. I discredited them. Yeah, 12 cans uh, or tw- okay. 12 mix. Um, I don't know if that's a better or worse gift than getting a Manscaped um, shaver that you got. And I know you've been, you know, updating us all on how how much you've enjoyed that. But I'm looking forward to it. I don't know why you keep going back. 
you keep going back to manscaping. Um, let's just focus on beer 52, which, um, because they're offering us a free case of eight craft beers, Josh. Hey, um, well, I got 12. You got 12. There you go. Um, to celebrate the start of the new season, the beer 52 are generously offering free beer to you while you watch Arsenal from the comfort of your own home. Um, they're offering the eight craft beers sourced and curated from the best brewers on the planet for free. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash Arsenal. And just cover the three pounds nine. Sorry, the five pounds ninety-five. Just cover the five pounds ninety-five for the postage. Beer fifty-two is the world's most popular craft beer discovery club, with over one hundred fifty thousand members, who they send a brand new case of beer to every month. And every month's case has a different theme, including New Zealand, South Africa, Korea, um, beers from America and Europe. And as an independent British company, Beer Fifty Two is passionate about the UK craft beer scene, as they continue to support during this difficult period. And if dark beer is not your thing, you can choose a light option. Your case will come with the award-winning beer magazine Ferment and a tasty snack. Um, and if you change your mind, you can pause or cancel your account anytime. So just go to beer52.com forward slash Arsenal to get your first case of eight beers for £5.95 postage. Beer52.com, the figures five and two.com. There we are. Anyway, back to the game. Um, yes, yes, Alan alluded to it, but we have to discuss the, the Mane foul in the first few minutes, which um, Alan has, has uh, said, think was, thought, was, thought was a sending off. I, I, I think I agree. And I think the only reason that um, he wasn't sent off was because it was so early in the game. It's almost like if you can do anything in the first five minutes of the game and the referee won't take won't send a player off particularly because it is in quotes going to ruin the game josh well what was interesting i thought it we've seen a lot more haven't we in the opening weeks of the season the referee going over to the touchline and having a look for themselves uh, on the video if it's felt what you might call is orange if there's even uh, some doubt in the var officials that the on-field official may want to have seen that so the fact they didn't even go to that means the var VAR must have felt quite clearly it was a yellow. I do wonder if in the age of slowing everything down, which is all we see now, the slowing down pretty much every clip, these things do look a little bit worse than maybe they otherwise would. I think you're absolutely right. The fact it's so early in the game has a huge sway on the referee. Is it clear cut? I mean, it, it, it goes into him, and I'm gesticulating as we sit here on Zoom. He goes into him. Is it a full swing of an elbow? I'm not sure it's quite enough there to have a sending off. I, I, I don't think when I saw it, I was at definite red. I was like, maybe a red. But the way decisions have been going at the moment made me think yeah. it, it might well do, just because it seems to be everything is, is harsher and more strict at the moment. But for me, I think just about the right decision, actually, on a yellow. Alan, I thought that um, if that a if that had been an Arsenal player, I know there's no crowd there, but I still think there's a pressure on the referee when you're at you know Liverpool and when you're at a really big club, even even with no crowd, I still think there's there's a kind of under undercurrent of pressure on the referee not to send the home player off, certainly in the first few minutes. So I think if it had been you know if that had been the other way around, if that had been Tierney elbowing Mane like that, I think he would have been sent off even in the first few minutes. And B, and obviously that's just complete speculation on my part. And B, I thought that he'd already Mane kind of fouled and Bellerin within about the first two minute. And then he did this. And I just thought that just kind of added to the sense that there was something weirdly like 
aggressive about him, which is, you know, you want, you want your forwards and you want all your players to be aggressive in some sense. But I did think it was, I, I, I think I put it this way. I think if, um, if he had been sent off, no one would have been complaining. Like you couldn't have complained. Klopp couldn't have complained. The player couldn't have complained because he clearly was elbowing him in the face, wasn't he? Yeah. That's, that's why I agree with Josh in the, the, the ref, I know he's not under the pressure of the crowd, as you say, but um, as Josh mentions, the screen is there now and they've been encouraged to have a look at it. There's there's no real pressure on the ref not to just go over and have a look. Um, I, there was a there was a sending off in the Newcastle Brighton game. Uh, player called Bissouma, the the Brighton midfielder, he he'd swung a leg out, not intentionally, but he managed to catch a, a Newcastle player right in the face. And the the referee went over. He was left on his own, and he looked at it a few times. And he obviously deemed that it was a, a really dangerous thing to do, even if you didn't mean to do it. That your foot was up and and uh, and was out of control. And it, and he and he sent him off. And if you look at some of the angles where Mane is actually coming towards you and the two players are coming towards you from the other side of the stadium, he looks at him about three times. He knows exactly where his head is, and he does he does clench your fist and reach out with it. And to me, if we'd have been away at Burnley and therefore would have done it, Chris Wood or someone like that, he would have gone. Absolutely no question. And it mm. goes down to the to the kind of bias that we had to put up with when we played against United and teams like that. It's just the referees do... It, it, it must be unconscious because they can't be starting games saying, this is Liverpool, I'm going to be more lenient. No. In that sure. split second... I do believe that the big clubs do get those kind of decisions. And um, again, as I said earlier, you need all the luck. You need the referee to be on, you know, on a having a good game, not on your side, but having a good game. And and within the first minute, that luck and the referee decision, um, obviously, you know, damaged our chances of, of nicking something. I also thought, apart from that that that, that sending off, I, I did think the referee had a weirdly. Um, I mean, you know, obviously we're all biased, but I, I you know, I'm, I'm very, I, I don't believe in any conspiracy theories. You know, there was a, it was trending. Liverpool was trending on Twitter. I saw today people were claiming that they, that you know, VAR never checks any of their things, etc. I don't believe in any of that. But I did think he was his decisions went against us more often than not. Like there was a couple of instances where um, our players were blocked. There was obstruction cases and he didn't give them. And then suddenly he would give, he would give it the other way around. There are a couple of fouls that seem to be exactly the same on, on, on both sides. And he booked our player, didn't book their player. I just got the sense that it, I, I just felt so in terms of you, when, when the first thing you said at the beginning of this podcast about, you know, you have to have one of the, one of the elements you have to have, if you're going to stand any chance against Liverpool away is the referee having an even game. And I don't think he did. What did you think, Alan? No, I, I agree. Um, I don't agree with the blocks. I think Aubameyang, I know exactly the incident you mean, because Aubameyang on yeah. one side of the pitch, then he went to the other side of the pitch and a similar thing happened. If you look at Aubameyang, as he's coming towards you, he's almost waiting for the player to do something as they're going side by side. And he almost throws himself to the floor. And I thought the Liverpool one was, but there were definitely elements of the game where there were fouls that were were not given one way and given the other way, which which didn't didn't seem balanced at all. And again, I'm like you, I don't really believe in um, a conspiracy, as in they're, they're consciously going out on the pitch trying to favour those things. But I think, again, in that split second when they're making decisions, those teams do get the bigger decisions. Um, and we've, we've, yeah. we've never, ever benefited from it. We've never, ever benefited from it, even when we were a dominant, dominant team. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Let, let's go back and look at the the team selection. So I thought it was a couple of in, particularly interesting, notable things. One was that he brought Louise back um, and dropped Gabrielle effectively, who you know, according to most of us, had a pretty decent start. Obviously, only against um, Fulham and West Ham. Well, with all due respect to West Ham, West Ham pretty good actually, but um, obviously a step up to then. Liverpool away I felt maybe he was protecting him you know and didn't want to kind of subject him to Liverpool's rampaging front line which would be fair enough and then sticking with El Nenny and Jack in midfield and not picking that for me I, I I was surprised more surprised by that because I just feel El Nenny and Jack is such a functional I mean functional at best midfield. Um, I could see him kind of playing it safe in, you know, obviously for all kinds of reasons, but I, I, I don't know. I just felt, and in the end, of course, Xhaka was substituted, which, which almost never happens. What did you think A of the team selection, uh, Josh, I'll go to you first. Uh, were you surprised? And do you think it worked in the end? Do you think actually there are a couple of mistakes there maybe by, by um, Arteta? Well, it was a, a massive, yeah. Well, it was, it was massively good news for Rob Holding. I think that's what I'm trying. I was a bit surprised. I didn't think Gabrielle would be behind Holding in the pecking order. And certainly this this early into the season, that is a huge statement, right? I don't quite go with the trying to protect him from Liverpool's front line. I think here is someone who's come in, been, as you say, pretty impressive in his opening game. So to immediately, you know, put him clearly below holding in the pecking order as soon as David Luiz is fit. And I was glad David Luiz was back in the game. And we all know there can be errors there, but there was also going to be a very clear directive that if we were going to get opportunities at Anfield, some of that might come from, you know, a ball in behind their defence. And, and it so nearly did happen. And, you know, if that wasn't Ainsley Maitland-Niles' horrible touch in that first half, we were also in on goal there. And there were a couple of brighter moments with, you know, balls, that bypassed our midfield and maybe they bypassed our midfield because it was El Nenny and, and Xhaka in there. So I was a little bit surprised to see, uh, to see Gabriel left on the bench. I thought El Nenny and Xhaka, it sort of made sense given what we were going to be going to be up against. And it meant we had a good option to come off the bench. I think we, our bench is not the best bench in the, in the premier league at, at the moment. And at least you thought, well, if we're in the game, I see what we can do here. I can see that Danny Sabas is going to come on. I can see we've got Pepe and Inketia. You kind of know the subs before they've even been made at the moment. And I think it was a view. Can we get to 25 minutes to go, make the changes and give ourselves a chance of getting something from the game? And within a minute, obviously, Sabayos did create a massive, the opportunity of a second half. And in, if that had worked, then you go, well, fair play to Arteta because he found a way to get a team on the pitch at the right moments in the game to potentially get a point as it was, it didn't work out, but I was, I was actually relatively okay with that team selection. Pretty happy. And Willian, I've got to tell you what a shift he put in at points in the first half. I know we were very lacking as an attacking threat, but to see that level of work ethic and getting back in defensively, I think that was really encouraging as well. Mm. Alan, what did you think of the, uh, of the team selection and the tactics and, and, and the whole, in general? Well, there was there was almost speculation before before kickoff when when seeing the team news that we're now picking a team for away games and a, a, and a team for home games, and obviously El Nenny and Jacker as a midfield is going to be more defensive than than creative. Um, the interesting thing about El Nenny is in in the first seven or eight minutes he blocked three 
very good Liverpool passes that would have uh, that would have actually set a striker free, or at least one on one with uh, with whoever was marking them in in that area of defence. And and they're the kind of things that go unnoticed. It's a bit like the the old Gilberto Silva days when people used to say, "Well, he doesn't really do anything because they're expecting goals and assists." But actually, you know, he's blocked four or five. Uh, really important passes just in front of the defence. And El Nenny did manage to do that um, very early on in the game when Liverpool were, were, were sort of trying to, to press us into those early pressure moments. If you look at El Nenny holding a Maitland-Niles, that's only the third away game uh, since they played together at Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup where we lost 4-2. Now... <laughs> That was one of the worst games that that, that I'd seen under um, Arsene Wenger, and and that obviously was 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 you know what led to the end of him. And and if you looked at the team around them that day and the way those three guys played, to actually then be picked two years later or nearly two years later in a, in a game as important as a, as away at Liverpool in the Premier League, it, it it suggests one of two things: either we haven't invested beyond the quality that that they've got or they're better than they were that day. And I'm not convinced that it's the, uh, that it's the latter there. So um, there's not can I just say, with it. Can I just say, this is why you are um, such a treasured um, guest on the, because I would not in a million years uh, put the, the forest performance, remember the forest performance and the team selection enough to make that link. But that is a glorious link. Uh, Josh. Ow. I'm not sure you can make a direct comparison to that game. I've managed to quickly get the lineup in front of me. I mean, what was in front of them that day? You had Joe Willock, and that's Joe Willock of, you know, at the time of, of this game in January 2018. Josh, Josh. Uh, you know, El Nenny, you know, Reese Nelson. You know, it's a completely different, you know, lineup in front of Josh. them. I don't think you can compare it. Josh, you're looking at the wrong lineup. Look at the Nottingham Forest lineup. You wouldn't recognize them if they were sitting opposite you on a train. <laughs> Now, that's the point I'm making here. They conceded four goals against a championship team that were struggling beyond belief that season. So you're putting them in to a game at Anfield against one of the best teams in Europe. Nearly so three is, years later, Al. There you can't compare. There's a hugely direct comparison to make. that If they struggled oh. and conceded four against the poor Nottingham Forest team... Two and, then, and a half years ago. What were you? I mean, Al, they were all adults at the time. They weren't weren't 15, Josh. They weren't 15. Al, you look how bad that you look how bad that forest team was. As I said, you wouldn't recognize any of them if they were on a train opposite you. But that says a lot about me and my knowledge of, you know, possibly the mid championship level footballers. Whatever job I was doing at 20, by the time I was nearly 23, I'd hope I'd be doing it a lot better. I don't think we can make a direct comparison. Maitland Niles, I don't think you or I would have called it. They had have an England cap in a, a full England cap in a couple of years' time. Well, Cole Jenkinson's got one. And as soon as that happens, England caps become null and void. Okay, I'm just saying. Can I, I think just say we can give them some grace for three, almost three years later, having some improvement. Holding and Maitland Niles also played in the uh, cup final, though. I mean, you know, and played pretty well. I seem to remember, and in fact, I think they've both played in all these games where we've beaten the big teams up until yesterday. So uh, I think, you know, I think they've improved. I, I would, I would definitely say they've improved. Um, there is an issue with Maitland Niles, isn't there? I was, I was look, watching the coverage on Sky last night, and Jamie Carragher 
was kind of kept saying he was bewildered whether it was whether you know what position he was playing you know is he defending is he attacking and we, those of us who've been watching his performances in this lineup in this structure in this kind of three at the back that then mutates into a four at the back sometimes blah 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 have been quite used to him in this kind of weird hybrid position haven't we but I do feel like he plays really well he's very hard working but there are limitations to him aren't there Alan I feel like I mean I like him more than you do but I think last night perhaps exposed his limitations because he got into some really good positions did some really good runs but the final delivery was not there yeah and and he's lacking in that that kind of quality that that we need I mean he's not He's not what I would call a top six Premier League player. And we've got a few players in positions that aren't of the quality to be top six, let alone top four. And that's what needs to change. They either need to improve to that point via um, Arteta's management or instruction, or they need to be, they need to be, you know, they need to go from the club. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's one of the, that's one of the clear points you can make, but, I'm not surprised Carragher's confused because Arteta likes to play like Guardiola and whether or not he was influenced or the other way around, he likes to play a different, um, a different formation based on whether or not we got the ball. So yeah, yeah it will be different for, for, for each of the players. And it's, and it's actually a lot to understand. So you don't just need to be a quality player in terms of what you can actually do technique wise. You actually need to be quite an intelligent player to know exactly where you need to be as the formation switches, as you're in and out of possession. And I think he struggles with that as well. I I can't help but feel you're being a a little bit harsh. I mean, (laughs) I, I don't think, you know, a year ago, six months ago, we'd have been thinking of him as a starter under Arteta having had a transfer window, new players into the club, but it feels like he's improved. I did think he had a, you know, a good cup final, you know, let's not compare the community shield to a champions league final, but again, a really strong, solid performance to the point where he, it looks like he's turned something of a corner. I I don't think this is a player now that, you know, when there was rumours, what was it, a month ago, six weeks ago, that he was potentially being lined up for a £25 million departure to Wolves. I'm sort of thinking, well, now we probably want him around this season, right, with what we've got. But you know know why this occurs, Josh? Because it goes back to the age-old point regarding players that we've had debates on Many, many times on this podcast, your Rizikis, your Walcotts, your Welbecks and players like that, okay, it's because they do not consistently do it that you can always have the debate where one person can win by saying, I think he was poor last week, and the next person can say, yeah, but you know what, in that next game, he scored two or he assisted two or he was really good. And that those inconsistencies, when you add them all together – you get a player that's got a base level around mid-table in the Premier League and not and not in the top four or six. And and we consistently have those debates about players without without moving them on quick enough, which is why Iwobi, Everton can't even can't even shift Iwobi at the moment. Yet we've had debates on this podcast as whether he's good enough or not. Well, he's clearly not. And and one of the things I always got told by uh, non-league managers whenever I worked in non-league. If a player had a good performance in Nolly, I'd say, oh, he's, he's fantastic. You know, he could play uh, further up. And, and it would always be, no, that's his one in 10 game. 
and the other nine he wouldn't he wouldn't cut it at all and and that's the difference and I'm not saying that our players are one in tens, but as you get towards the top, you know, even four in 10 isn't good enough. Five in 10 is not good enough. You need eight from 10. That I'm not sure who we've got. By the way, sorry, that Iwobi sale is looking like the greatest um, sale of, of recent history, isn't it? I mean, if we could get anything like that kind of money for any of these players, we want to, we want to shift this, this transfer window. I think we'd all be thrilled. I, I'm somewhere in the middle. I, 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 I like Maitland Niles more than Alan does, which obviously isn't difficult, but I think that I kind of agree um, that, I mean, put it this way, if we were offered 25 million for him right now, I think if that meant that it, it no, Josh is shaking his head. I think if, if that meant we could then sign our, or party, or one of these. Clearly, we need midfield. Midfield is our priority right now. I'd take it. I think I'd take it because you've remember you've got Saka, you know, who what didn't come on at all, didn't play at all yesterday. Who is a much better player, isn't he, than Maitland Niles? I mean, Saka, when you compare the two, and I know they're different types of players, but they're both very versatile. They both can play wide and, you know, in, in attack positions, and, and they can both defend. They both played in defense at different times, Alan. I, 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 I mean, you'd obviously take it if we were off at 25 million tomorrow. I certainly would, and um, I, I, there's someone who should be out the door quicker, and then that's the, you know, if the, if the rumours are true that, that um, PSG or, or other big clubs want Bellerin, then then we seriously need to look at that as well, because he's not. I think that level. might have gone though, mightn't it? Haven't be- I think? Yeah, PSG- I think I think it has, but yeah. you know, those those rumours yeah. still surface, and yeah, I would I would be very very quick to take that even ahead of just because of his throwings. Well, it's not just that at all. It's, you know, I just don't think he's a very good player. And I don't think, and again, he's he's one that's inconsistent. So he can have the odd good game where you say, well, he is of the level and, and we should we should persevere with him. Um, in fact, I think I think Maitland-Niles might have a different ceiling to, um, to Bellerin. And if you're looking at the, 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 the transfer fees that have been suggested for both of them, then you'd definitely be trying to take the Bellerin one first because he's definitely more replaceable. I think Bellerin's had a pretty good um, eight, eight start to the season and, and end of last season, Josh. Yeah, I think Alan is being in a fairly critical mood today. I mean, we're all backing Arteta, and Arteta has got us a bit more united as, as a fan base, and he is picking Maitland-Niles above Saka and above the various other options that could involve Tyranny playing there and bringing someone like Gabriel to be a centre-back and he is putting Hector Bellerin in there. I think obviously Cedric does have an injury at the moment. But I, I've got a bit more faith than maybe you in these decisions that Arteta is making. I think we could have sold Maitland-Niles from the way that story came out and they weren't you know, very clearly in the market for you know, improvement in, in the full-back area. So I think the decision that he's taken um, is uh, is one with you know a view of a long term of what Maitland Niles can do. I don't think he's a one in ten player. I think he's been way more consistent than that. But I don't really know that we've got an eight out of ten sort of regular guaranteed seven eight out of ten as a as a mark for a game apart Gosh, from Abamyang. Apart from Abamyang, and even then last night, he, he, you know, you barely noticed him for large chunks of the game. So I don't think Maitland Niles is way more inconsistent than you know some of these other players and doesn't deserve to be in what is at best the top you know fourth fifth sixth best team in the premier league i think he is good enough. i did, i didn't say one in ten i said that's what that's what you get from non-league players i said i said ours around four and five out of ten when you should be six seven 
seven or eight if you want to play at this level. Um, and, and that is, is you know, that, that, that's a fact. Um, I, I don't think it's disputable, really, in, in that they're that inconsistent that we can have varying debates on, on all of them. There's probably 20 players we could have this debate on. Yeah, maybe. Well, let's have a debate about. Let's we're not. Let's at least address the Lacazette um, performance and miss. I mean, first of all, I'm going to defend obviously because I like him. <laughs> the uh, his miss. I mean, it was. I think first of all, there was the offside chance, which he which was which was a more embarrassing um, miss. But you could say that he knew he was offside, so he probably wasn't putting his everything into that chance. Then the the. Um, the chance that he missed, I I thought Allison, the goalkeeper, was positioning was brilliant, and he and he did everything you want from a goalkeeper. And B, I feel that that's the kind of thing you see the best strikers in the world, even. And I'm putting Aubameyang in that in that category, for example. Aubameyang missed a similar chance, I seem to remember, not so long ago. All the best, all all great players are capable in that one one on one with a goalkeeper situation, with the ball coming to you quite quickly, uh, of, of not scoring. And I don't think it was as easy a chance as a lot of people are making out. You look on Twitter, and Arsenal fans are like, "Oh, you know, in the bin, Lacazette, sell him now." You know, the reactive nature of fandom is is pathetic generally. But it particularly annoyed me with the reaction to that chance. Obviously, he was devastated, but it just was not the cast iron. Absolute hundred percent. He has to score chance. I feel that it was portrayed as obviously it would have been brilliant if he'd have scored. And obviously, you know, people were saying, you know, people saying Niketi would have scored it. I don't know. I've seen Niketi miss chances as well. All strikers miss chances. It was just a real shame. Obviously, Josh, you're just gesticulating that you you disagree. Well, no, I was just gonna uh, gonna raise that point that I you know seen a lot of people making. Would you rather it was in in Ketia? running through there. I think you're being generous, Boyd. I think that is a guilt-edged chance and why he didn't have the, the confidence to take it on. I think Roy Keane made the point in the Sky Studio that when he had been offside, in truth, beforehand, by not putting it into the back of a net, even though you know it's offside, it must play play on your mind. I think he's... Uh, I don't know. I, I can't see that... Of course, everyone can miss that chance, but in a game at Anfield, you know your chances are going to be so limited. You're going to get a couple of good opportunities like that during the game. And if you could have said to to any of us, me, you, Arteta, even Alan, 2-1, second half, your striker is clean through on goal in the middle of the goal. He is in charge of a situation. You'd You'd have snapped your hand off for that scenario. So... I don't know. I'm, I think it is a huge opportunity miss. And you could see that on Lacazette's face, couldn't you, when they panned to him after he'd gone off, you know, the shirt over the eyes. You know, it wasn't one of those half chances where you wish you'd done better. That is about as good a chance as you can wish for away at Anfield. Alan, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it was a great chance. It was an absolutely brilliant opportunity to level the score. And it's devastating that he didn't score and he was absolutely gutted, blah, blah, blah. But we have surely, we have seen plenty of strikers not score those kind of chances. Yeah, we have. I'll give him that. Um, I'll also give him that he put in a terrific shift coming back and doing defensive work last night. And also he got into good positions. Those are the positives out of the way. To me, there's a ment- to me there's a mentality thing there that obviously Roy Keane touched on, and Josh just said, um, you should 
you should be burying chances like that, regardless whether you think you're offside or not on the first one. And um, Gary Neville seemed to suggest that the first one affected the second one, which is a really interesting thing. And, and, and obviously I haven't played football at an elite level. So, you know, I'm going to take Gary Neville's word for that, that, that suddenly you get into a mindset. Um, but this is the kind of mindset that had, you know, a Bamingang missing a penalty at Wembley when we could have beaten Tottenham and finished in the top four because he doesn't look at the ball. And then he's told to look at the ball for his next penalty. You know, little things like that, the foul throws, you can go back to all these little things and just say that there's an attitude in our team that means they're just not professional enough or killer instinct enough to just get these little things right. And that, that seeps through the squad. I mean, Bellerin's interview after last night said, oh, there's a hunger in the squad that hasn't been here the last couple of years. So he's effectively admitting that him at the very least, he at the very least, sorry, hasn't had that killer instinct for two years. And then you have to ask him why. And if he knows that other players haven't as well, then that's deeply unprofessional for players that are, are earning as much as they are. And and that kind of thing is, um, again, that's an overflow from the Wenger era. And I just don't think we're going to shake it off until we go through at least two squads that are, are far enough removed from him to know that when you go out on that pitch, you do everything in a professional manner and you do everything to get the marginal gains and you do everything to the best of your ability. And it is still not there. And I don't think it'll be there for a long, long time. Yeah, I, I just wonder with his comments about the hunger it, that he's actually trying to pay a compliment to Mikel Arteta and it's just been interpreted slightly wrongly. I think he's saying there's a hunger that has come from the top, this new manager having a clear directive of how they're going to play. That he said they're working on it every day in training. I, that's what I took from it. I, I think it's very easy to take it literally and interpret it, you know, in a different way and be of critical of, yeah, of the of players. Uh, you're right, yeah. Uh, and also, and also, this uh, I think this whole thing, I'm not excusing, um, I'm not excusing any player for not, for a lack of professionalism, but, you know, you see it in all teams, don't you? You see it. You've seen it in Chelsea when they got fed up with Mourinho. You see, you just see teams, the best teams, the best squads for what for all kinds of reasons, end up sometimes being in quotes unprofessional and not and, and doing those things. They may lose respect for their manager. You know, may, towards the end of the Wenger era, on the, like you can't on the one hand say, well, we want you know Wenger should have gone five years before he did, and then expect all the players to to respect him and respect all his decision-making and be a hundred percent every single game. I don't, I, I think they're human beings. So in a fantasy world, they should be hundred percent, but actually they're responding to all kinds of things, aren't they? And I agree with Josh. I think he was trying to express that they were all on board with this project with Arteta. And so that's takes, why I think it, but it takes so long to switch, to switch that, that kind of mentality back on. Um, whether it's whether it's the effort or the, or the way that you you carry out things on the pitch, and and again, you know, foul throws. Yeah, they're not important, but if you can do that, and if you can just take corners that that don't beat the first man and are half-heartedly put into the area, if you can have that kind of mindset, it always stems from there's no consequence to me getting this wrong. And that's been there at the club for about oh, yeah. a decade, and and then sure. To but I think there is consequence now. I, I think there is yeah. consequence now. You, you're still going to get. Uh, go on. No, where's Gwendozi? Uh, you know, we talk about this consequence. Where's Where's Ozil? 
Uh, there is consequence. That's one of the things that we love about Arteta, that there is decisiveness. Well, what do you mean by... And to be fair... Sorry, can I just say one quick thing as well? I mean, I think the throw-ins, that, that's a separate... I think we've been the worst of throw-ins in, in, the, in the league for years. Like, generally, not just Bellerin, everyone. I can't remember the last time we took a good throw-in. So I think that's been an issue for a long time. But the call, Pepe, I think Pepe's delivery from, from Debbles has been great. That's been one of the best things about him. And so it was weird and bizarre, his delivery last night. I think that was a drill, wasn't it? They'd, they'd done that. He was trying to, he was trying to place it at the near post and failed and didn't get enough elevation at both times. And it was a shame and it was awful and it was embarrassing and terrible. And I'm not, and I, I, but it's an explanation rather than an excuse. I, I think in general, I don't think either of those issues, like I'm sure Arteta was furious, but I bet there will be consequence. And I'm sure, you know, William will carry on probably being first choice because of that now. But, you know, I think there is consequence now. Um, Before we go to the break, quickly, yeah, Alan. I, I mean, the, the, the Gwendozy point is fine, but that. I mean, he's he's is quite a defined misdemeanor. So so is Özil. So um, we're not talking about actual performance on the pitch per se. There, I, I don't think um, I don't think there's consequence to that, and I don't think there has been for a long while at the club. And it might be again going back to our original or the original point I made about there being such a lack of resource that you have to you have to rely on what you've got. I mean, no one really expected us to be using El Nenny at all this season, let alone in, in such an important game. So that that screams a lack of resource. And and that might be what filters through the players and and, and leads to these things occurring. But um, yeah, just on Pepe, I mean, I, I, I've, I've said it, Boyd, and I try and praise him when he gets these things right. But he still has a problem with his technique in those situations. So when, when it goes right, obviously it looks fantastic, but he has many, many situations in an Arsenal shirt where he's been either in a good position or a no pressure position like a corner. And he seems to hit the ball all wrong. And, it, and, and it's baffling to me. I, I think Pepe, well, I, I, yeah, we've had this discussion many times. About the t- I, think his te- I think he can do all these things. I think his dead ball skills are there. He's proven. I think, he's in, I think it's all psychological with him. I think everything is psychological with him. I think he's the kind of player. And I think the fact that it must be difficult. You know, he played really well towards the end of last season. I think he was our man of the match in the cup final, etc. I think he had a pretty decent, you know, when you count up the assists and the goals, he had a pretty decent first season. Forget the price tag, just as a young, new young player. And now then he sees, you know, William come in in his, in his position and get picked ahead of him. It's hard, isn't it? That's hard. I think that's, that's what contributes to his um, performances rather than any lacking in technique. But we do need to go to a break, which we've gone on nearly 45 minutes now before a break. So we'll do the break and then we'll come back and speak more after this. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean... I'm more Steve McQueen. Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at Cooler or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. 
cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back. Um, just to just to round off the discussion about last night, there was one other little refereeing moment, wasn't there, with their third goal, the handball issue, Alan? I mean, A, it was like, I think, I, I mean... One thing I would say is considering VAR and referees are looking at every single fucking handball this season in minute detail and giving some extraordinary penalties as a result, etc. I felt it was very much glossed over very quickly. Like it felt like it, there was no real look at, whereas like, you know, the commentators and I was going, Oh, hold on. Is that, is that hitting his arm um, for that third Liverpool goal? What did you think, Alan? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. You mentioned the commentators because um, I think Martin Tyler was, adamant and he only he only had one go at it but he was adamant that it, it just about didn't brush his arm and then they showed a slow motion replay and it was almost like Gary Neville was about to talk over him and say are you sure about what you've just said there because I'm pretty sure that, <laughs> yeah. that it did and then when you see it from behind it's very clear that he does move to the side a little bit and 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 hit his arm and again you'd think that because of all these VAR checks at the moment that would be done and, and it would be solved pretty quickly because it doesn't take, I mean, the referee can, can you know, slowly walk back to the centre circle and then get the, the voice in his ear. So it's not like that, that they were just about to take a goal kick or something like that. You know, it, it was either a goal or not a goal. So I'm not sure about this trying to make a quick decision. You don't really need to make a quick decision when it's something as important as a goal because you're going to be, you know, resetting both teams for a kickoff if it was a goal. Um, so they probably should have yeah. had a look at that one even more. Um, again, I don't think it. I, I don't think it. Well, it definitely doesn't change the outcome, but um, it's, no. it makes it a slightly worse defeat, obviously. And, and um, mm. you know, in in the in the record books, it will look far worse. Yeah, I think this think is in general. Oh, go on. Sorry, Josh. No, I was going to say. I think this is one of them where the back end of last season or some point last season, you wouldn't have thought of it. I just think what we've seen in some of the games and the bizarre decisions, which, you know, obviously it's quite funny to see Tottenham letting a 95th minute penalty, but any real football fan can't be interested in that being a, a genuine penalty. So for it to just, yeah, be a decision that was made so quickly in this day and age, what was a bit of a surprise, even if I don't know, I don't, I think most football fans don't want to be that seen to see that as a handball but yeah, it didn't. It didn't correlate. All we want is consistency, and what we're being told is that there at least is going to be consistency now. So, yeah, it's uh, it's so different. But I totally agree with what Alan said. It felt like Gary Neville was about to come in on it, and then suddenly the game was restarting, and it sort of got moved on and didn't get the same level of analysis that it, it might otherwise have done. On a general level about mm. the game, Liverpool were very, very good. Right, brilliant. That first half. For us yeah. to still be, I don't think there's a shame. I think I saw, you know, a bit of negativity. Alan and I spoke last night. I think Alan felt a little bit more negative than than I possibly did about the game. No, I don't think there's Funnily a team in enough. the Premier League. No, I don't think there was a team in the Premier League that would have got a result at Anfield the way they played last night. You know, we have to hold our hands up. Liverpool are still a step above us. Klopp has had now a hell of a long time, five odd years, to get that team in that group playing as well as they have. We are still so early in the Arteta revolution, if we're going to call it that. We put in a good enough performance to give us some encouragement. We gave ourselves a great opportunity to take something from the game. And, you know, we, we couldn't quite do it. But I don't feel 
as anywhere near yeah, as negative I mean, as I do, as we no, have done so many previous trips to Anfield. We all, we all predicted that we'd lose that game, and you know we're not. We're obviously not that level. They're they're, they're one of the best teams in Europe. In Europe, and Klopp, despite some uh, doubters uh, in the past who thought Klopp was some kind of clown or idiot or whatever, or you know didn't didn't like him, he's done a brilliant job, and he's honed them into this machine. The bigger question: I, Jamie Carragher, Allen said last night um, that he thought no one could do a better job with these players than Arteta is doing. Do you agree? I don't agree with that at all. Um, I, re- I really like the other point he made about um, the the teams around us chasing for the top four and and the managers that they've got. Put it put it this way: Look, uh, I think from from last season's appearances on the pod and saying that people were getting carried away about Arteta, people have suddenly thought that that now means that I'm saying I don't like him or I don't think he's good enough. Again, I have to correct people and they have to go back and listen. All I said was you guys were getting carried away. I didn't say he was terrible. I didn't say he was going to be terrible. I didn't say he was going to work out badly for us. I just said I'd rather reserve judgment. And there were a few little things where you could paint negative pictures and there's a few things where you could paint positive pictures. And the one positive that I took from from what was being said last night that I definitely agree with is that if you gave me a choice now of having any of the other managers that aren't Klopp and Guardiola in the Premier League as our manager, I don't think there's any of the others that I'd be choosing to go forward with. But oh, okay, that's but, pretty. That's pretty fair. Yeah, yeah. And again, I mean, that, they were criticising Lampard, including Oscar, including Mourinho, Jose, including Jose. Yeah, I'm, who I'm, you're I'm, quite a big fan of. Yeah, I'm. I'm a big fan of Jose. I think. I think he's really. You know, he's a winner. He's a proven winner, and. He didn't just do it with money. You know, that's the usual thing thrown at him. He won the Champions League with Porto. So that, that that's utter, utter rubbish. He's clearly a good manager. And um, yeah, I'd have him sort of 50-50 with, with Arteta. And he's the only one that I might choose outside of Klopp and Guardiola. But um, the, the, the real point he was making about Solskjaer and Lampard and the fact that there's three young managers there all day long, all day long, you take Arteta over those two. You'd have to. You'd yeah. absolutely have yeah. to. And I and I would yeah, say I now I'm quite confident that out of the three, he he will be um you know he will be head and shoulders above when we're when we're summing up their careers in in thirty odd years time. That said, that said, um, he is still five points behind Unai Emery on game twenty three well, no. of the Premier League. Um, oh, no. Unai Emery was on 44 points after 23 Premier League games and Arteta is on 39 um, now Arsene Wenger was on 40 at this stage Unai Emery is a clear leader on game 23 <laughs> of their Premier League career which proves and, as and, I always say to you with this stat which proves how ridiculous this stat is because you know Emery is a fucking because, idiot because, and, Boyd, because Boyd last season we started with a clean sheet in a away game, which was a win. A 2-1 home win where we were pretty lucky against a battling team. And then we lost 3-1 at Anfield. Um, this season, clean sheet, away win. A 2-1 win in a game where we were uh, almost battered. Yeah, the West Ham game. And 3-1 at Anfield. So we've started the season exactly the same as we did last year. Look, but are we, you saying? But but when you look, but are you saying? Sorry, just quickly, quickly, Josh. Are you saying then that this that 
these these facts as you put them what what is your deduction from that are you deducing from that that um Unai Emery was a better manager than Arteta is that what that's you're saying not what, that's not what I'm saying it's not what I said it's not what I said before it's well then what's the let, point of the statistic it's, it's because, clearly proving the statistic doesn't make that is invalid because because the only you either use it to make a point about the relative merits of the managers or you don't so i don't understand do you know what i, mean? I, I am confused the point I'm making, this last time the point i'm making isn't about the relative merits to the managers what the oh. point i'm making is that if it's going that well under emery but then suddenly all fell apart if he was ahead of Arteta on the curve, which he clearly is, because that's a fact. He's five points ahead and started last season exactly the same as Arteta has started this. Then it could be that Arteta goes the same way. And that's what we need to, to, to think about when we're being overly positive about Arteta. He's not done anything different. Or... Or when Wenger, who's got, as you said, pointed out a similar record, went on to win gazillions of trophies and was like, you know. So, I mean, again, I, I, I'm grasping at the significance of it just because it could either be Wenger going on to be the legend that he was, Emery going on to be a complete bum and a waste of time, or... So it's like, again, like what you... you there's literally no correlation between this, this stat and the eventuality of the performance of the managers. But there is, because uh, in this day and age, I don't think Arsene Wenger would have got past about 30 games for Arsenal. But it's different, isn't it? It's like you look at the performance. It's I think different. the reason why it the stat different. feels... And that's, that's why, and that's why I'm, I point out the stat. Because okay. we're, choosing, we're choosing to use Arteta's record to say no. that he's wonderful... No. When I'm no, I'm choosing to look at what exactly he's achieved the same on the as pitch. Emery. He's right, that's the difference. Exactly the same as Unai Emery. That's the difference. And I bet you weren't that's being this positive. I bet you weren't well, I was being, being positive quite positive. If, if you remember, I was being quite last, positive about Unai Emery. After three games last season. And it's the same if record. If you remember. No, 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 no. First of all, I was being very positive about Unai Emery, much to the um, amusement of people who, who were proven right about him. And B... No, no, no. You don't look at the sheer number of, of, of points per game at this point. You look at what's happening on the pitch and you look with your own eyes. Well, the same thing's the happened structure. on the pitch. No, 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 no. Let me finish. At the win, structure win, and the plan and the identity well, how can you compare, that Arteta has imposed on the team. And it's clearly working better. It's clearly um, a, a, a much better way. And all the things you were talking about, the professionalism, I know there were, you know, apart from the throw-ins, but generally... The performances on the pitch, the structure, the tactics, the the, the the wins against bigger teams, all of those things are clearly Arteta is doing better with this team. No, that's the biggest thing. You have to say, Al, and I don't want it to be like, uh, you know, confrontational here, but we just don't, we didn't see under Emery what we managed to achieve in that semi-final and the final of the FA Cup in big one-off games brilliant tactical plan where the players were united, the players looked like they knew exactly what was being asked of them and we didn't get over the line with complete flukes, you know and scrape our asses. and I agree with your point about, you know, West Ham probably deserves to take something against us the other day but, you know, therein has given me two performances where I go, no I can believe in this man, I can believe that we didn't go to Anfield and get absolutely, you know, embarrassed yesterday. We were in the game until the last couple of minutes. Um, and that is enough sign of improvement. And until we have given Arteta his own full season, how can we compare? You know, you're talking, uh, you know, different uh, opposition, uh, different players. Let's give Arteta a full season 
with his own team where he's had, albeit a strange preseason, his own preseason. And we'll see where we are at the end of the year. And and then we can start to get a feel. You're speaking there like I'm calling for his head. I'm not calling for his head. I'm not I'm not that stupid. <laughs> no, all I'm saying. saying all I'm saying is the numbers aren't significantly better for us to be going overboard. They're not. I want to well, I the want, performances I want them are, to be right. Well, in, in cup games, and I don't count those, your league is your bread and butter. Okay. Um, before we, we're running slightly out of time, we've been going on for a glorious uh, 50 55 minutes. Um, I do want to talk about that. There's a week to go in the transfer um window, we're still being linked with these midfield players, party and AOR. OR. Um, Ornstein, I listened to Ornstein this morning saying it looks like OR is more of a likelihood now than party, but they're still interested in both. I think it's interesting for me. What's interesting is we seem to have made concrete bids for AOR of, you know, in the, in the many millions of, of pounds, which seems to, and considering that don't, I, I don't see any major um, news that we're shipping out any players instantly. Like, you know, we hope they are, but I don't see any, any, any immediate news of that. It was just to me, my theory that, and I'm, I'm obviously hugely egotistically obsessed about proving myself right about everything, which very rarely happens. But my theory is that, if we want to buy a player right now, despite the financial situation we're in and the COVID thing and everything and the no no gate receipts, they still will find a way of spending money on a major player like Partey or AOR if they really, really want, if Arteta and Edu really want him. And I'm sh- even with before, even without shifting on the players that you think we'd need to afford that. Uh, uh, Josh. Look, once it's so clearly in the public domain within bidding, I think there was even, was it the Leon president has been tweeting yeah. out, suggesting, yeah. I mean, once it's so clearly in the public domain, that's just now PR, who can play tougher, and eventually those things turn into some kind of deals, usually. I do think right. it probably is dependent on Arsenal managing Chappelle. Is it supposedly that Torreira's agent is over in Madrid, trying to make sure that deal goes through with Atletico Madrid. Um, Socrates looks like he's certainly on the way out. And you'd be surprised if there wasn't possibly even an, another one. Um, but what, but my point is, no, but, I know what you mean. But, I, but my I point is, sorry. Financially, right. it looks like if they're putting offers in, well, they've got to have yeah. that money. I yeah. mean, the money must yeah. be. But exactly. I'm sure they're very, very confident that a couple of players are, are leaving the club. Well, but, that's as maybe. But the fact is, if they accept our offer tomorrow, then we buy him for quite a large amount of money, considering we've relayed off 45 people recently and the club's 55. finances are fucked, according to everyone else. So we will still find a way. Anyway, Alan, do you think we really need to buy one or both of those midfielders to have a chance of finishing, say, in the top four? And what do you think of our chances are of finishing the top four? And what's the current betting about whether we're going to finish in the top four? There's a few questions for you. Well, we, we definitely need the creativity. Um, AOR is, is um, more likely as, as uh, well, I, I, I trust Ornstein. He's usually, usually uh, spot on. Um, my only worry with him is <clears throat> he's not particularly physical, so he might just not enjoy the rough and tumble of the Premier League. But if we can get protectors in around him and he can get he can get more of the ball, then I'll be, you know I'd be I'd be quite hopeful because he is he is one of those names and he's he's done it at the, the top level in the Champions League. So uh, you've got to be hopeful 
with him. Um, your other questions were. What was your What was your other question? Do we Sorry. Do we need to sign uh, one uh, that player to get to have a chance to have a realistic chance of being in the top four? And what is the current betting about the top four? Yeah, we. I think we do. I think we can see that that, that, that lack of creativity it costs us if we're if we're giving away chances in games to teams where you know obviously West Ham came and 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 they got sort of two two on XG, which is pretty poor to be giving up to, to a team that might, might finish around the bottom half. So we definitely need to improve our creativity to account for that poor defending. And the interesting thing about those top four odds, and it goes along with what the, you know, that debate on Arteta, Solskjaer and, and Lampard, it's just that the, the other teams around us didn't convince at the weekend for varying reasons. They all got their own elements of luck to obviously get the draw for Chelsea coming back from 3-0 and United with a penalty after the final whistle had been blown. But actually, the market is much more impressed with Arsenal at the moment. And that means that we're 7-4 to four to be in the top four. And that's some of the shortest odds we've seen since Emery was at the club and we and we blew that end to the season. So that's, that's positive. Yeah. That's definitely positive. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Uh, right. We, we've got to do predictions. Um, uh, it's one of the things, it's the only thing that keeps this unique from all joys of guests like that. Um, Liverpool game, the bizarre uh, playing Liverpool twice at Anfield in one week in the Carabao Cup. And we've got the um, game against Sheffield United at home in the league on Sunday at two o'clock. Josh, what do you think is going to happen in both of those games? I think we will probably exit the uh, Carabao Cup, but in a uh, in a very entertaining game. I'm sure there'll be uh, be plenty of goals. Three two, perhaps to to Liverpool, and then we come back. Look, Sheffield United have, have had a surprisingly indifferent start, or poor start, really, to the Premier League season. I've seen enough where I think Arsenal can get over the line. I'm going to go two 0 to Arsenal. Alan? I strongly, strongly fancy us to win at Liverpool on Thursday night. Um, I think, yeah, me too. I yeah. think Arteta is, is, and again, I don't know whether it's him influencing Guardiola or, or the other way about, but they, they used to take the League Cup quite seriously with their second string. And I know they definitely had, you know, better resource to have a good enough second string to win that tournament. But I think that they did place a lot of faith in winning games and winning games in different tournaments. And and I actually think that our our lineup on Thursday night will look significantly stronger when when those two teams line up. And I actually fancy us to get a result there. I think we'll win three one um on on Thursday night. And on Sunday against Sheffield United, they are struggling at the moment. They've got players out, important players out. And one of the biggest and, and worst things that happened to them in the summer is obviously Henderson returning to Manchester United and, and their keeper has not convinced in the early games. And I firmly, firmly strongly believe we'll win by about three or four on Sunday. Cool. Uh, I agree with you about the uh, Liverpool game. Yeah, I think I think a Liverpool do not give a flying shit about the this competition, um, and um, I think oh, it's always funny when they have to kind of pretend they do. Um, so, I, and I think we do. I think I think well, I think Arteta. I think you're right. Arteta will does care about it, and I think we'll field a kind of mid level, quite strong team, um, and I think we'll win. I think we'll win two uh, one. And Sunday, yeah, we've got to beat Sheffield United. Um, I, I will say um, 3-0 to Sheffield United. Alan, it's always a joy. 
um, a, a genuine um, sensation to have you on. Josh, what are you going to say? No, Thank I just you. wondered before you go, Al, I know in your role with uh, Betway that I think if you've been at some of the West Ham games, how's it been being at a stadium during this period? It's It's been very strange indeed. I love the fact that you can listen to what the players are saying and the coaches are saying because, um, you know, I try my own, own little way to 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 be a, a coach worth of an under-16s team. Um, if I could tell you that my under-16s team have started the season with consecutive 11-0 defeats, it's the kind of thing that probably means that anyone listening to this will be saying, and he's got the front to complain about managers on here. So uh, yeah, uh, eating humble pie in my own uh, in my own management. But being being at the, the London Stadium, it's I mean you'd much prefer a crowd at games. You definitely would. But it has been a unique experience to be there and listening to the players, and and it's obviously a, a bit of a privilege considering most people can't go to games at the moment. I find it fast. I, I, one of the things I'm really enjoying, and I'm really missing going to matches. Don't get me wrong, uh, and I'm gutted that you know uh, the, the October kind of return has been cancelled of, of limited numbers of fans. Arsenal, by the way, did you get the email from Arsenal that I got? Was fairly snotty about the government. It was like kind of basically saying, "How dare they stop us from having um, limited crowds in October?" Which I thought was interesting. But I, one of the the in most best things about this whole um, period of having every game televised. And the no and the no crowd is being able to hear what the coaches are saying and the managers are saying. And Arteta, for example, very loudly last night, you could hear him telling Lacazette where to go and all of this. And I'm loving that. And what annoys me, here's a bugbear, is that you have to, in order to hear the no crowd noise, the fake crowd noise thing, you have you can't have it on UHD, both on Sky and BT. The only way of hearing the pure sound of the coaches without the fake crowd is to not have it on UHD. And I think they'd sort that out. So that's annoying me. Josh. Well, I'm sorry for your very much first world problems you. you're enduring during the COVID uh, pandemic. That's much. how you'll remember yeah. this period. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So I want to say thanks to Alan again. Always brilliant value. And Josh, do you want to plug your Bake Off podcast? Yes, you're right. Thank you, boy. Well, Bake Off is on again in uh, in an hour, isn't it? Or so, as we sit here and record this on Tuesday evening. Yeah, for anyone interested in the Bake Off, you can search The Bake Down, where I sit um, not alongside Boyd Hilton, but alongside two former contestants from the Great British Bake Off going through last week's episode. And uh, and plugging not beer fifty two, but if they want to attend online baking classes these days, so different needs for different people, Boyd. I'd say absolutely. Did you notice that in the because we had a link? Uh, I'm not well. I have a link to watch the Bake Off in advance um, as a TV as a TV journalist, and the link I got for episode one did not include Matt Lucas's amazing opening sketch about Boris Johnson, and so I wrote in my review of it that that Matt Lucas arrived in the series without any fanfare at all. And then it turned out when it went out live, he did this massive, elaborate <laughs> piss take of Boris Johnson. And with, the fanfare couldn't have been bigger. Um, so there we go. Anyway, um, thanks very much again, Alan. Um, uh, enjoy Pleasure. the bake-off. Thanks. And Josh, and we'll be back next week, I guess, after um, on Monday. Yeah. See you then. Bye. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu.
This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.